In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fifth Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody's had a good week, and happy Pride Month, everybody. As you can tell, I am much more in. I am much more higher than, <laughs> than I was last week. <laughs> Boy, last week I was dead tired. Honestly, when I recorded last week, I was just, uh, I just, I just had to get, I just had to get through it, and you know, it, I, I could have. I could have not recorded. I could have not dropped the episode, but I feel like I'm on a, I'm on a streak. I'm on a streak right now. I haven't, I haven't not dropped an episode yet. So, I, well, as far as I know, I think, I think so. Maybe have I missed any? If I missed a week, maybe I'm not really sure. But from what, from what I remember, I feel like I've been on a pretty good, consistent, consistent streak. So you know, I thought. Well, it was better to give something than nothing, you know what I mean? And uh, the topics yet last week were still prevalent, regardless of how I delivered them. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's all good. We're back. We're back in business. We're back feeling good. I'm feeling I'm feeling energised. I'm feeling ready. So, yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. We have a stacked show, and I'm going to try something a little bit different. You'll you'll know what it is when we actually get into the show. But uh, yeah, so it's going to just going to be a couple of couple of new elements thrown in here, to, thrown in here for this show, and hopefully for the future. So we'll see. We shall see how it goes. Formalities before we begin: have the email, have the Twitter, we have the Facebook, all there in the description below. Fifth the five th element uk for all the links. I read during the show. If you want to read them yourselves, I highly suggest you do because that's why we're here. We're here to educate each other. We're here to we're here to look at the world as we see it. And I'm talking garbage. Let's get into the show. <laughs> In a week where EE rolls out 5G networks in the UK, Trump and the family fins visit the UK, Casa Semenya wins her Swiss court appeal to temporarily suspend the new Semenya rule, implied by the IAAF, if you want to listen to that episode, go go back and listen to it, and a Stanford study shows that Islamophobia has dropped 19% in Liverpool and 50% in anti-Muslim tweets since most Salah joined Liverpool, which I don't know if that's a, obviously it's a good thing, but I'm just like... You you guys really need a Muslim player in your football team to not be Islamophobic. That's very that's a very low bar, guys. Very low bar, anyway. And a study shows that twenty five cups of coffee a day is safe for heart health. No, twenty five cups of anything is not good for your health. Stop that. Stop giving coffee people a reason to drink more coffee. You absolute nut jobs. Anyway. We begin with sports, actually. We're going to begin with sports. We have a stack show. We have all four today. And we're going to begin with sports. And I don't think there's any topic that we... Any, any sports topic that we can get into. We could get into cricket, but I'm not really into cricket. So <laughs> we get we get to Andy, Andy Joshua getting waxed. What? 
stuff the off the floor. Oh my days! Honestly, when I didn't watch the fight, so just to, just a preface, I did not watch the fight. It's it's in Madison Square Garden. I was I was probably awake to be honest. <laughs> I was probably I, I could have probably stayed awake for it. I was, I was probably up. I was probably up for most of the night anyway. So you know, I could have probably watched it if I wanted to. But I did. I didn't have the pee for it, and I just couldn't be asked to find a link. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, just, it just it happened. Sandy Joshua is going to catch the dub anyways. He's facing the third choice. So, you know, what I mean, he's, fa- he's facing the third choice fire. It's a wrap. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So I went to sleep, and then I woke up, and then I saw all the glorious. The glory, the glorious memeage that was that was going past my my TL of what and Andy Ruiz looks like Al from Toy uh, Al from Al's Toy Barn. Uh, dude looks like Big Pun. Like it, it, the the here's here's a little factoid for you about Andy Ruiz Junior. Right. So this dude before every fight eats a steak in a Snickers bar. If that ain't goals, I don't know what is. <laughs> if that ain't goals, I don't know what the bring is. See, the, 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 some, sometimes with sports, right, you 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 see a person and we deify them. We 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 look at them and we're like, this 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 person is a is a god amongst men, you know, is a, is a, or is a goddess amongst amongst uh, people, and. You know, I'm, I'm culprit of that. I think we're all culprit of that when we, when we sometimes watch sports. We see someone and they're either just super ripped, they're stupid hench, they're the perfect specimen of of a human being. They're the perfect specimen, you know what I mean? And we see that with whatever athlete you want to pick. But then there's sometimes, then there's like, you know, there's some sports where you see, and it's not about obviously how hench they are, you know, if you watch a, if you watch, watch a darts match, go, 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 go see a darts match, no matter where you are, if it's the, if it's the world championship or your local, or local pub dart game, they all look the same, <laughs> they, they all look the same, it's balding white dudes with the maddest beer bellies, that's it, and, you know, they're not physical specimens, but they can throw a dart like a beast, so, you know, it's, it's, take how you want it, but, you know, when it comes to boxing, sometimes, obviously, that there is just people. It's just dudes without with their, with no shirt on and shorts. It's they're just mad hench. Uh, most of them are mad hench. And then then comes someone like Ruiz, looking just like just looking like every other dude, man. <laughs> just looking like every other dude. It's absolutely glorious. You know, it's it's sometimes it's very refreshing to see. It's it's very refreshing to just to see a just to see a guy who looks like a normal dude. Just absolutely clatter a dude who looks like a god who looks like he was chiseled from Greek gods. It's it's absurd. He looks like he was Andy Joshua is hench. Andy Joshua is what society says is a perfect specimen of being. He's six foot whatever. He's six foot dench and two hundred and fifty dench. You know what I mean? So he's he's just stupid hench and. The fact that he took this L is just mad fascinating. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just mad fascinating. I, I, I don't know why. There's, I, when I was looking up a specific um, article to read from, there was many. And this is something weird with boxing. If you, if you, I think what's good with boxing, right, is if you really want to get into boxing, you can easily get into boxing. Is I think it's really easy to digest and I think it's really easy to 
not become an expert in, but to know what you're talking about, I guess. If if you're if if you spend a couple of days reading reading up on boxing, obviously watching fights, well, a couple of days. I say if you spend like a year or so, okay, watching fights consistently, you know, watching prize fights, going to see local events, wherever you want, you know, just at all levels. If you if you go if you go like that, if you look at every level of the game. And then you read about it, and then you watch old fights, and then you, you know, read articles about every fight, wherever. I think you can. It's, it's. I think out of most sports, it's very easy to become a well-versed person in that sport. I think it's very. I think it's very easy, personally. And when I was looking up articles for for to what which one to read, and I'll read it in a bit. There were tons of other boxers talking about Andy Joshua and it was I found it I was finding it mad interesting. I was like, this is I thought football punditry was annoying. <laughs> I thought I really did. I, I thought I thought basketball punditry was annoying, but there's these people that nobody's ever heard of, says former heavyweight da 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 telling that if if Andy Joshua loses his rematch, he has to retire. I'm like who the hell are you? I was like, "What the? What is this? What, get off my screen right now!" I don't, I don't know why. And probably, it's probably me being very dismissive. But I mean, they sounded very dismissive. If he loses the fight, he has to retire. Are you dumb? Are you serious? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Telling him he has to retire. What kind of hot take is that? That's a flaming hot take. That's a center hell take. Stupid. Anyway, let's get into let's get into this uh, particular article. This is just a general one. Andy Joshua and Re- Junior rematch confirmed no- for November or December. So by the end of the year, we will get a rematch. It's gonna be quick. It's gonna be quick and clean, and we're gonna get it back. And <laughs> trust me, I'm gonna watch this one. <laughs> I'm gonna watch this one. Honestly, it's, it's gonna be good. Uh, Andy Joshua will get the chance to win back his IBF, WBA, and WBO heavyweight titles and rematch against Andy Reid Jr. later this year. Joshua's promote Eddie Hearn announced the contract of rematch clause was triggered on Tuesday, and the second fight will take place in November or December, with the venue still to be confirmed. I, 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 I it, it can't be, it can't be America again, right? It's going to be in London. It's going to be O2, right in his wheelhouse. It's just, <laughs> just could, and then just say I'm undefeated in London, so you know I'll take that. So you know, I I can I can they're most likely just gonna go back to London or or Mexico. Oh, yo, that'd be crazy. That'd be lit. That'd be kind of lit, actually. Just go to Mexico City, heavyweight fight. That'd be oh, the numbers will be staggering. Actually, staggering. That'd be great. Uh, after meetings with AJ, Rob Mac, uh, well Rob McCracken, Joshua's trainer and management team in NY, we have triggered the contract to rematch clause with injuries Junior. The fight will take place on November December at the venue to be confirmed shortly, wrote Hearn in a tweet on Tuesday. The Briton suffered in a shock defeat. A shock defeat, the first of his career, when he was stopped by Ruiz Jr. in the 7th round in Madison Square Garden last weekend. Joshua said, said shortly after the fight that he had not even been aware there was a rematch clause. Quote, I didn't even ask about a rematch clause because I was so confident I was going to win. He said, if, it, if it's there, we'll go again and I'll get the titles back. I'm going to beat him up. I'm not dwelling on it. You just correct it, you adjust, you sit down, you focus, and you go again. Unquote. Hearn said after Saturday, uh, Saturday's fight, he would want a rematch to take place in UK, something he reconfirmed to ESPN on Tuesday. Quote, my gut feeling was the UK, but not guaranteed, he said. We have to look at everything, the people at the broadcaster, DAZN, 
It says Daz, it says Dazen, but you say Dazone because I don't know. It says D A Z N. I say Dazen, Dazen, but that makes it sound like Daz the whatever cleaner is. But hello, uh, you know, uh, hey ho. So how I'm not the marketer, I guess. Uh, and Manson Square Garden would like to do part two in the U S. Joshua came to Andy Ruiz's country for the first fight, so it kind of makes sense. To, to, for the second fight to be in the UK, so we'll see. However, Ruiz, Ruiz had said his preference would be Mexico, Los Angeles, or New York. Quote, I'm the champion, dot, 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 I call the shots now, said Ruiz on Monday. I I would personally love it for it to be in Mexico. That would just be, that would just be fun, you know what I mean? I, I, I wonder what the economics of that would be, considering what the Mexican peso is about, and, you know, if... if Boxing is very glamorous, and all the and all the glamorous people will be there. You know, it's, it's a must-watch fight. You know, that's what rich people love watching people beat each other up. Don't know why. And the tickets that they're gonna be, the ticket pricing will be very interesting, I, I to say so the least. You know what I mean? So I I, I don't know how that would work economically. In, if it was done in Mexico, it'd be cool if it was in LA. But then again, I would have to. Oh God, when would the fight be then? So if it's midnight then, it'll be like 8am, 9am in the UK. Okay, I could do that. I could do that. I prefer there to be there than New York, where it'd be like 4.35am. So, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really mind that, to be honest. Wake, just wake up at 7 and then go watch a fight, you know what I mean? Just... If if a bar if a bar if a local bar showing then yeah, yeah I'll go I'll, I'll I'll go for that why not that'd be that'd be quite interesting just wake up in the morning for a fight you know uh, how very how very old old time you of us we just, we just when old people when uh, people in the Victorian era used to wake up early in the morning to burn a witch that's one of the Victorian times but obviously very earlier when they when they wake up early to burn a witch and we're gonna wake up early to see Andy Joshua face Andy Ruse in a in a rematch, that'll be very interesting. But I just, I, I, I do just find it so fascinating that Annie Joshua just got clotted by <laughs> by a DDE Snickers before a match. Oh boy! And and one more thing, if they're in an endorsement deal for Ruiz by Snickers, I mean, if if that's a marketer's dream, that's a gold mine right there. Snickers, get on Ruiz, sign him up. Put your logo bare on his shorts. Just just fat logo on his shorts when next time we see him. That has to be done. Snickers, get on that. So we move on to... Oh, what are we moving on to? Which one to pick? Um... Let's go with let's go let's go with life actually because this is this is something that uh, this is something that I read the the a few days ago and I was just like huh it, it's just it's just very confusing to me I find I find this one very confusing so this is by uh, my good fellow off the Guardian right here it's an opinion piece by her so uh, take the how you will it's called John Cleese isn't alone in equating English with white Sandy that view is mainstream. So yeah, this is this is about John Cleese, and he just he he clearly went off on one again. 
he did so I think a few years ago about about Britain and stuff like this and how Britain's not not Britain anymore and just you know just old timey shaking I'm a old timey shaking the fist get off my lawn kind of talk. So let's get into it anyway. Um, so, uh, quote: Some years ago, I opined that London was not really an English city anymore. Unquote. This is is how John Cleese began a tweet on Wednesday. Quote, since then, virtually all my friends from abroad have confirmed my ob- observation. When eight long years ago he made the similar claim, he gave us the unabridged version. Quote, I'm not sure what's going on in Britain, he said, while appearing on, Aust- on an Australian TV programme. Quote, let me say this, I don't know what's going on in London, because London's no longer an English city. And that's how they got the Olympics. They said, <laughs> wow, they said, quote, we're the most cosmopolitan city on earth, but it doesn't feel English, unquote. <sighs> Where to start? Where to start, Miss Goodfellow? Where to start? Let's get into it. Maybe with the most obvious point of them all. Cleese is fine with immigration if it's him moving. Oh, that's glorious. It's plausible that when he sat down to write his tweet, Cleese was in Nevis in the Caribbean. Having had enough of England, of the England he cherishes, cherishes so much, he announced last year he was planning to move there. The difference is obvious. He bemoans immigrants in London... But because of race and class, he's called an expat in the Caribbean. Now, Cleese has claimed his comments are not about race, but back in Australia, he gave more evidence for this argument. Quote, I had a Californian friend come over two months ago, walk down the King's Road and say to me, well, where are all the English people? Assuming they didn't ask every single person they saw that day where they were born, how did Cleese's Californian friend know none of them were English? I actually had a cup of tea, and I wish I didn't finish it, because I'll be sipping that hard right now. But let's get into it. <laughs> let's continue. You have to wonder, what does it mean for London not to be quote-unquote English? What does it mean to be a quote-unquote English city? Cleese gave us an idea in 2011. Quote, I love being down in Bath, he said, because it feels like the England that I grew up in. Who knows why Cleese feels at home there? Is it because the overwhelming majority of the population of that city is white British? But London, just like England, has always been constituted by global connections. Violent material, wealth and labour extraction from the colonies helped finance the Industrial Revolution and brought money flowing into the capital. London and parts of Britain have always been diverse. Irish and Jewish migrants in the 1800s and early 1900s were considered racialised quote-unquote others. People from colonies and former colonies who, after being educated on English curriculum, came as citizens to work in the mother country, where it met with racism. This is perhaps not the England Cleese has in mind, uh, Cleese had in mind, but it's the England that has long been. There is no English history, the academic Stuart Hall wrote, big up Stuart Hall, the Don, uh, without, uh, without that other history. This history and what it means for England's self, uh, sense of self is ill understood. Cleese defended his comments by saying it's legitimate to prefer one culture to another. He really said that. But there <laughs> but there is no other there's no such thing as one static quote unquote culture tied to one particular nation. But this is not just about Cleese. 
though that he is an Oxbridge-educated wealthy actor, is just is a reminder of just how disingenuous it is for politicians to claim that it's predominantly the white working class or the left behind who feel, feel threatened by immigration. Fixating on the individual obscures of the, uh, the structural, and that is where the real power and the real problem is. This very idea that Cleese is so wedded to, that immigration is making London less English, has been, in different ways, reproduced through the UK's mainstream debate on immigration and race for decades, if not centuries. Only it's been applied to the country as a whole, not just London. The idea that national identity needs to needs to be guarded against culturally different others was a part of the reason 11 Labour MPs protested against the Empire Windrush docking at Tilbury in 1948. It was connected to Theresa May's home office sending go-home vans around diverse parts of the country. It's what William Hague was referring to when he warned of the UK becoming a foreign land. It was also central to Tony Blair's new Labour fixation on Britishness, on Gordon Brown's British Jobs for British Workers pledge, and Ed Miliband's 2015 election offer of Controls of Immigration. The underlying sentiment of Cleese's comments is part of what politicians mean when they talk about listening and responding to people's legitimate concerns, quote-unquote, about immigration. Here, perceived culture remains intimately connected to race. Englishness and Britishness are, in all kinds of subtle ways, still tied to whiteness. The connection is there in is there in the supremacist narratives of the British Empire that suggest innate capability meant a country such as England developed. It's detectable in the way certain immigrants and Britons, including people from Eastern Europe, who are seen as part of the degraded whiteness are more likely than others to be imagined as a threat to quote-unquote British culture. Um, it's painfully ob- obvious when you compare how some, people Eng- how some people's Englishness is questioned. Think Norman Tebbit's cricket test, while other people is absolute, while the people's is absolute. The problem is far bigger than one comment made by one actor. It's written into the way race, immigration and nation are understood in public debate, and that is what we need to change. <sighs> Right, so there's a lot to unpack there, clearly, and the first, the, well, the first thing about John Cleese, the, you know, he's, he, he, your, well, Mr. Cleese, your whiteness is showing, <laughs> it, I find it so fascinating about that, actually, when, when old white dudes or old white women just go to, go to other countries and they're considered an expat, you're, you're an immigrant. You're an immigrant. You you are. You are that. You are the. Pe- you're doing the exact same thing, but the difference is you're doing it out of uh, out of a out of privilege. You're doing it out of privilege that you have the money to go to these countries and retire. You have the money to do that. The people that immigrate, it have to do it because of necessity or just because you know just in search of a better life you know, the dream kind of thing, you know, they're doing it out of necessity most of the time, they're doing it out of need, need, need for work, or just the need for more money, you know, just, just because they need a better life, they're going, they're doing it for the strict, the strict goal of having a better life, and providing a better future for their future family, right, you however, 
are moving to the Caribbean. Why? 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 Why are you moving to the Caribbean? Why? Why are you? Why are you doing that? I know why. Because you just prefer the sun, and you just wanna you just wanna sit in the sun for the rest of your life, and that's fine. You can do what you want there. But the fact that you're talking about London and talking about England is laughable to me. You have no, you have no opinion now. You have no opinion now. Now that you've moved to the Caribbean, you you can't say this kind of shit simply because you ain't here. And regardless of what you said, and we'll obviously get into what he said anyway, your you, your opinion has no bearing. Your opinion has no bearing. And now that we're getting into the act, now let's get to the actual what he talked about. <clears throat> so this is obviously something that is ingrained into into Britain as a country and into many countries. You know, you you can say this about America. You could say this about Australia, probably. You could probably say this about Germany or any any country where right wingers are in Europe. You, you can make you can make a case. You can make a case, right? But it's so ingrained in Britain in 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 Britain right now. This sense of <laughs> this sense of race isn't it, it, it isn't the problem. It's just it is the problem. You, you you find different buzzwords and dog whistles to to blow instead of actually saying what you're trying to say there and even and regardless of regardless of Cleese putting aside Cleese and how much of an idiot it is and you know basically just being another in the long list of old white people that don't like what's happening <clears throat> The fact that you can, the fact that they went to the point of you know racializing Irish people, Jewish people, and now obviously in the past ten or ten or so years, the people have been doing it with Polish people, and and that's kind of come out of uh, gone out of the gone out of the common lexicon, hasn't it? You know, ten years ago it was it was the oh these bloody Polish taking our jobs, you know, it was that. That was the conversation, and now it is more about it's more about quote unquote Muslims. Is that's what it's about now? And previously, it was a and I find that more fascinating how you find a white person that is still lesser because they're from a country that's not England or or Britain or whatever. It's a, oh, Eastern European, oh, immediately lesser. I find that so oh that. That entitlement is glorious. I wish I could feel. I wish I could get a taste just for a day, just for twenty-four hours, just a taste of that sense of entitlement. Imagine that, right? Imagine that you you are born in Britain, right? And you are fifty-something years old. You have a good career. You've had a good career behind you, and you're thinking of. And, and now you're thinking, starting to think of your future and your retirement plan and stuff like this, right? That's where you're. That's where you are. You look exactly like John Cleese. Okay, you you look exactly like John Cleese, right? Imagine the sense of entitlement you have as a British person or as an English person. Excuse me. Imagine the sense of entitlement you have when you see a Polish person coming come to come to England on a visa or whatever, and they're just working to I don't know, clean a gar. Just just. You know, just to clean it, clean a house or something, clean, clean window cleaning. Okay, just a simple job, just a simple labor labor job. Okay, 
imagine the entitlement you have as a white British old man, uh, white British middle-aged man, right? To look at that person, to look at that other white person, that Polish person, and say, "Oh, he's a lesser." Imagine, oh God, let's let that, let's 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 wash our hair in that entitlement. Oh God. Head and Shoulders? No, Entitlement by John Cleese. That's that's the that's the new Ads Dandruff. <laughs> Ads Dandruff for the for the uh, <laughs> for the for the for the effect of how white and white and old you are. <laughs> that's the vibe that we're going for, and you know I'm making I'm making jokes about this, but this is so. This whole conversation about whiteness is so ingrained into our culture. It's it's probably the most the 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 biggest blind spot that white people have. They can they they can white people can talk about race to a point where they can politicize it. And obviously, they gave so many different so many different things here, saying you know eleven Labour MPs uh, protesting against Windrush. 1948, Theresa May, Go Home Vans, William Hague, Foreign Land, Tory Blairs, Britishness, Gordon Brown, British Jobs, British Workers, you know, and Ed Miliband as well. They can make it a politics issue. They can make it a political issue. They're making immigration a political issue. And, you know, I can understand why it's a political issue. I can under I can also understand again why people can be why people can be concerned about immigration. We are a tiny island after all, sixty five plus million people. I understand. I I really do understand. Okay, but you're but there comes a point where you're talking about you're talking about people's lives you're you're talking about people's lives and all they're trying to do is make their lives better that's all or just make their lives bearable that's 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 it that, that is it and the sense of entitlement again the politicians and just people like john cleese have of just dismissing that of dismissing the human side of it and making a strictly a political statement is jarring to me. It's really, really, really jarring to me. It's the same when we talk about poverty in this country. It's the same when we talk about class in this country, where we can, we can, they, they can talk about, oh, we've raised a minimum wage or, or something like that. You know, they, they say something positive. They give you a positive, a statistical positive that is, is everything's great now and. Obviously, it's not. They 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 rest on their laurels on one good positive thing that's been made. Oh, we've raised the minimum wage up two p. Great, great. Now now we're we're all living in utopia now. You know what I mean? It's 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 this dismissive attitude that they have, and it's the same thing with immigration sometimes, where they can just shove it off as and and they word it differently. They don't say immigration because it's a buzzword. They don't say that. They they call it something else, or they, or they switch it. They flip it to the other side of the coin, and to what they want immigration to be replaced by. I.e., Gordon Brown saying British jobs for British workers. What does that say to you? 
jobs for white workers, J- jobs for British white people, jobs for British people. You know, it's a, it's a sense, there's a sense of, there's a sense of nationalism in there. There is a sense of nationalism in there, and I don't want to say nationalism's, you know, a horrible thing. I get it, I, I understand patriotism and all that, but when you're talking about immigration, when you're talking about race, class, whatever, you, whatever, you know, buzzword topic you want to talk about, politicians sometimes don't even say the actual topic they talk about what they want that topic to be replaced by. They don't want immigration. They just want British jobs for British British workers. And they'll say British jobs for British workers. And they won't say about immigration. Even though, if you want more, quote-unquote, more British jobs for British workers, apparently, you need to ditch immigration. And, you know, finishing up back to John Cleese and to people that, leave the country to live in another country it obviously makes a the 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 net migration is something that is worth talking about all the time as a statistic because we regularly forget that there's another thing the politicians talk do they they don't when they when they talk about you know flipping the other side of the coin they can also hide the other side of the coin so in this case, they would take immigration and say, oh, all these numbers, 300,000, so bad, so bad, so bad, so bad, right? But they don't account for the people, the, the, the John Cleases of the world that are leaving for Spain, that are leaving for the other parts of Western Europe, France, wherever, Portugal, Caribbean, Australia. They, they, there are people leave. There are old white people leaving as we speak. Okay, and we're calling them expats, but they're immigrants. Okay, and that's something that always needs to be part of the equation. You can't have. You can't talk about immigration when you're not talking. You can't talk about one thing and not talk about the other, and that is the same for both sides. Okay, whether you're talking about immigration, you you talk about immigration. And you can also talk about jobs. And if you're going to talk about immigration as a bad thing, you should also talk about the apparently, I guess, not worth worth conversating about conversation of people that are leaving our country as Britons. And apparently they're called expats. But they're not. They're immigrants. So we move on to film and TV. We're going to talk about Chernobyl and not the event, <laughs> not not the not the event that happened. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about just a TV show, just just a TV show for now, and uh, <laughs> just just to just to just to be just to be sure, we are talking about the show. We're not talking about the actual experience and the actual event that happened. Just 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 saying and just uh, being. 100% on that, just we're on the same page. So it ended last night, the limited series, Chernobyl, HBO and Skylanic. And I've obviously been seeing a lot of ads for it. I've been seeing a couple of reviews that came out yesterday about how great it is. And, you know, it's, the, it's currently the highest rated show, audience rated show in, in history uh, from uh, IMDb standpoint. So this is from Forbes. I'll just get into this right quick because it's pretty much what it is and what the topic is about. This is talking about Chernobyl, to be honest. Uh, last night was the fin- finale of HBO and Sky's part, five-part miniseries Chernobyl. 
uh, which is it Chernobyl or Chernobyl? I, I just is, do you say the ch or the sh? I, I always say Chernobyl, but yeah. I I don't know how, how it's said, uh, which seems destined not only to sweep certain categories of the Emmys later, later on this year, but it seems to clear uh, it seems clear the show has cemented itself a uh, place in the larger scope of TV history. The show's ratings haven't been anything off the charts, but with a few recognisable faces and a topic as haunting as, and specific as this, that's not a huge surprise. The fact that it's doing as well as, say, Amy Adams's Sharp Objects, the HBO miniseries, is actually kind of impressive. But after episode 5, one fact hasn't changed since I spoke about this a few weeks earlier. Uh, the writer is Paul Tassie of Forbes, by the way, just to, just to be sure. Uh, viewers have rated Chernobyl the highest rated, highest scored television series in history, according to over 100,000 votes on IMDb. The top 10 list has not changed since two weeks ago, nor after last night's finale, which I think everyone can agree was great. But now Chernobyl has more than doubled its number of votes from before and is kept to the exact same high score. So, you know, you know I, I don't look at IMDb as a as a go-to source for <laughs> what is the greatest TV show, what is the greatest film. And we actually talked about this obviously a few weeks ago when Game of Thrones ended. The best TV show is The Wire, just, just to say, uh, just to repeat again. And currently, as of this as of this uh, article publishing, it's uh, Chernobyl's at 9.7 out of 10, out of uh, 111,000 votes. Planet Earth 2's at 9.5, 71,000. Band of Brothers, 9.5, 317,000. Planet Earth, 9.4, 147. Breaking Bad, 9.4, 1, 1, 200,000. Game of Thrones, 9.4, 1, 1, 500,000. Uh, Our Planet 9.4, 10,000, with The Wire 9.3, 234,000, Cosmos 9.3, 9,500, uh, 95,000, sorry, and Blue Planet 9.3, 19,000, that's the top 10 at the moment. So, you know, just going through that, obviously Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones have the have the most votes there, and if you want to go by the amount of votes, then obviously those are the more... Those are the more solid numbers, 9.4 and 9.4 for both Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And obviously for stuff like documentaries, they're obviously less. Cosmos, I do love Cosmos. I I really enjoyed that and I'm really excited for the second uh, second season. I'm wondering where Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to go next with that. And obviously Blue Planet, Planet Earth, anything with David Amber's name on it (laughs) is great. And that's facts, let's be real. Planet Earth is is the goat, anyway, uh, and it's it's kind of a, it's a decent top ten. It's a decent top ten. I I still need to see Chernobyl. I've got it down. I've got it downloaded downstairs. Need to give that a peep. But we'll, we'll I'll, I'll I'll report back if I ever if I actually ever get down to it, and I'll I'll report back if I if it, if I feel like it's the best limited series of all time. So uh, as for a critical opinion, a critical opinion. In that land of TV, that's a bit harder to quantify. Unlike movies, Rotten Tomatoes is not nearly as useful for TV as when individual seasons are scored. And there are fewer critics, so even a single drop can uh, can drop averages sharply. And many opinions are based on just the first episode or two when they're written, not the whole series. Chernobyl has a 94% with only three rotten reviews from The Week, Guardian uh, and The New York Times. Now, I'm wondering what the Guardian review was, because I saw a Guardian review of the overall series yesterday, and it was five stars, so I don't know where the rotten review came from, uh, of all places. But those 
but two of those were written a month ago. Rotten Tomatoes has too many 100% reviewed seasons of shows to count. Right now, that includes Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Tuka and Bertie, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Fleabag, Better Things and Barry. And ju- that's just shows that are currently airing. So there's no real way to get a good sense of a grand list like with IMDb voting. It's the same is true for Metacritic, where Chernobyl has an 83, but the top rated seasons of uh, seasons of shows of all time are just strange. Like season 4 of Rectifier with 99, Homeland with season 2 of the 96, and three seasons of the Larry Sanders show in the high 90s, including being three of the top four highest scored seasons ever. It doesn't feel the most accurate depending on your tastes. IMDb, IMDb voting has its own faults too, of course, but I think the most expansive barometer we can check of overall audience enthusiasm for a series, and there really is not an equivalent for critics that provide as much useful info, given how shows are reviews, are reviews piecemeal and often not updated after complete seasons are watched. I don't know if Chernobyl will stay in IMDb's number one spot forever, but it is, uh, but it's a show that wasn't just good for because of its filming, writing, and powerful performances. It's also it also felt relevant and cautionary tale, not but uh, not about the dangers of nuclear power, but about the importance of truth and the cost of lies, which is something of a timeless message. And many are linking it to our present, often purposeful overlooking of climate science, uh, climate change, science. So. Yeah, I, I just uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting to think about when you know when it, I, I think it's always interesting when a show like this comes up out of pretty much nowhere. I didn't I think I saw you know I, I saw the obligatory ads for it weeks before, you know, probably like a month before, and obviously that was going on for a while, and then the show actually dropped, and then I saw ads about it being the highest rated audience uh, audience on audience score on IMDb and I was like, ooh, must be must be half decent and if it's replacing Band of Brothers and all that and all that stuff. And again, I haven't watched it yet, but it does intrigue me to the point where you know, I think the only limited series that was there was Band of Brothers. So uh, was Band of Brothers a limited series? It's, I think it was a limited series. I'm not really sure. Let me let me give you a check right quick. So you know, if that was the case yeah, I think it was. A, I think it was a, a yeah, ten part series. Chrono- yeah, ten part series. So a limited series. Considering that there was only that and Chernobyl, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. And I think we, I think as a, I think the concept of limited series is very. I always find it very interesting. Most of the time, they're very good. Limited series usually are of such high quality. We kind of take them for granted, I think. You know, when, when when it comes to something like a you know, like a Game of Thrones or whatever, and we see them as multiple seasons, and we, you know, they, they become a cultural phenomenon because they have like longevity and they're over and they span over five, ten years. Watching a limited series is similar to like listening and out al- listening to an album sometimes, where. If people didn't like it, or if people didn't clock it at the time, then it will take a while for them to actually sometimes listen to it. Excuse me. I always just find it interesting sometimes going through awards ceremonies like Golden Globes or whatever and looking at the limited series, and sometimes they 
sometimes they just look sometimes they just take the world by storm sometimes just sometimes not many times but sometimes and I do enjoy that because it cements a piece in history where you you can't do that sometimes with a well if if you look broad enough then you can do it with something like a game of thrones or a breaking bad or the wire but when it comes to Lumia series, there's just that special time when everyone's watching it and it's only six parts or four or ten or twelve. And it's a, it's an event. It's it's really an event. And hopefully Chernobyl had that kind of had that kind of feel. I don't think it I don't think it did in the terms in, in terms of an event, so to speak. I think people are more interested in Black Mirror. I think that dropped recent. Uh, I think it dropped today, actually. Yeah, so, so probably you know, and this is all in the conversation of trying to get people's time, trying to grab people's eyeballs and say, "Watch this, watch this, watch this." And there's only so many. There's only so many shows someone can watch. There's only so many albums someone can listen to. There's only so so many books people can read. So. That's that's kind of just how that's, that's how every, that's how everything is, isn't it? Where you where you have to you have to they have to find ways to get you to watch it. And obviously, saying that you know it's the highest rated show on IMDb is not the it's it's not the that ain't the worst marketing strategy. I will admit. So you know, big up to big up to the people that make Chernobyl, and I will give it a watch. And if I do, if I ever do, because I'm not going to promise anything, because I've done that with She's Got to Have It, and I think that that time has passed now. <laughs> so you know, if I if I don't if I watch it, I watch it. If I don't, I don't. But if I do, I will report back and see, and uh, I'll, I'll let you guys know if I like it. We move on to our final topic of the week, which is music, and we are talking about iTunes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you listen to Digging in Digits, the latest episode, it was episode nine the other day. Uh, go listen to that if you want to want my brief take on iTunes and just the and just the around uh, the chat that me and Ben had. Shout out to Ben, hip hop numbers, and I just wanted to get into it just 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 a little bit more and just understand it a little bit more so this is this is by genius of all places I don't know why I picked genius but it was just there and it was quite it's kind of detailed so I was just like yeah why not um this is by Chris mentioned genius the online media store will be broken into separate apps for music television and podcast nearly two decades after its launch revolutionized the music industry iTunes will be no more Apple confirmed during its WWDC presentation they will be breaking up iTunes, replacing all the, the all-encompassing media store with separate apps for music, TV, and podcast on its computers. This separation has already occurred on iPhones and iPads, and comes year after comes after years of rumors that Apple was looking to dis- discontinue iTunes and its clunky software. The new music app is still expected to allow users to purchase digital songs, a method of consumption that is waning in the streaming era. Previous reports have indicated that Apple was looking to kill MP3 downloads altogether in favour of its Apple Music subscription product, but there's no indication that's happening yet. Still, the loss of iTunes marks a symbolic end for the company, which pushed the music industry into the digital era at a time when it was dealing with rampant piracy issues. 
iTunes is also credited with helping to decoupling songs and albums as commercial products and drove the sale of over 400 million iPods. Over time, it grew to include movies, TV shows, podcasts and more. Digital music purchases have fallen to record lows, declining for for the sixth consecutive year in 2018 to just 1 billion in sales, according to RIAA. Streaming continues to grow at rapid clip, making making up a reported 75% of revenue for the music industry last year. Financial windfalls are expected to continue as streaming enters global emerging global markets, although questions remain about the financial models underpinning these services. Spotify only posted its first quarterly operating profit earlier this year, and the fi- financials of Tidal remain murky. So this is an interesting conversation. Not just in... I, I couldn't really care less about... You know, iTunes as a institution going, uh, going, you know, I respect the legacy and all that, and how it you know, kind of saved the music industry in in a in a way. But I'm more concerned about the future of basically digital sales, I guess, and digital MP3s and stuff like that. Now, I'm not really a fan of digital MP3s. I just find, you know, sometimes when I buy vinyls, I get a digital download card, and now I'm starting to actually collect them and lash them out to people if they want them because I don't don't use them. I have have so many... I I have a lot of albums that I bought via vinyl and have digital download versions of on my on my laptop right now and you know yeah 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 <laughs> i'm not, i'm not i'm not going to my laptop to listen to music you know what i mean i'm going to spotify on my phone so talking when when we talk about streaming and obviously the future of that the money is still very thin it's it's still thin compared when you especially when you compare it to cd sales from from the 2000s onwards i actually found a chart recently by charter daily and it basically is a chart i'll put it i'll put i'll put the link on it i'll put the link to it on on the fifth element on the article version of this just so just if you guys want to see yourself and it's it's dramatically less it's dramatically less now than it was back in the 2000s so if we go back to the 1980s, right, the world of three things, it was 8-track, vinyl, and cassette, right? So, in the 80s, it was about, it was about 15 billion, right? About 15 billion adjusted for inflation, obviously, recorded music revenues, okay? Now, we moved to 85, and then it was more cassette, it was more cassette, 8-track already died by then, and vinyl was starting to move its way out, and then came CDs, obviously during the 90s, 1995, it was more, it was cassette and CD dominating, vinyl was just a little, just basically dead by then, and then came the 2000s, when Napster founded, 1999, and the peak music, US music revenue in 1999, was 1999, 21.5 billion dollars, okay? Then that started dropping. That started dropping due to you know piracy, and then obviously came streaming. So when you get to two thousand and five, it's still it's still you know CDs. It's still CDs, and CDs actually it says here uh, dominated roughly for roughly twenty years, and that's that's quite a good streak. That's quite a good streak compared to you know other things like cassette or well streaming <laughs> obviously. 
And now that it, it comes to like 20, 2005, there was ringtones, downloading, obviously. And actually, the CDs and download were fighting for most of the 2010s, actually. And then came streaming around 2015 and just killed it. Just killed it. Ringtones don't exist no more, basically. Vinyl's obviously coming back, which is great. So... But streaming actually accounts for a just under it looks just under ten billion, and the overall and the overall music revenue in the U.S. is about ten billion. So it's halved. It's halved in the past twenty years, basically. That's where we're at right now. So U.S. music revenue, anyway. I don't know about U.K. or Europe, but U.S. music revenue has halved in the past since two thousand. That's a problem. That is a problem. That's less pieces. Uh, that's less pie to eat. So, and when it comes to streaming, artists get paid less, dramatically less than what they were. That what they could have been paid for CDs, or and you know, there's, there's stuff like now there's stuff like Bandcamp and stuff like that that keep the digital music thing alive. And sometimes I buy off Bandcamp. You know, I bought a lot of Chill Hop records off there. And uh, a couple, of, a couple of others. So you know, it's it's a good place. Bandcamp's a good place to buy, uh, to buy digital, to digital place. And it'll probably, it'll probably be the only prominent one now that iTunes is 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 going to die. So, but I just wanted to talk about the future of it simply because it is is going to be very interesting in this next decade how aware artists will find money. Obviously now you can see it as touring constantly and merchandise, hard copies obviously, and those are and those are basically the things that they need you to do to, to, to consume to support. Streaming's great, word of mouth is great, but it doesn't pay them enough. It doesn't pay them enough, especially compared to the C D era. So you know, it, it, you could when they're getting when they're getting ten pounds or fifteen pounds or however however much CDs were back in the day, they they're getting they're getting pennies off that. They're getting they're getting pen, literal fractions of pennies per listen on streaming. And this is kind of why, just a little tangent. This is why I don't account for charts anymore. Well, so I didn't count for charts anyway, but now I'd spend. Excuse me. I especially don't count for charts anymore because when you talk about streaming, people like Billboard or the official charts company, whatever, if they account for streaming, they haven't found a good model yet. They have not found a good model. Some some people have records for having all of their songs on the charts, and that's stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> that's, that's, that's genuinely stupid. They're not that popular. They're popular from people listening to it, but it's not popular from a money standpoint. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's it doesn't add up. The numbers don't add up. And just going away from that and talking about the future here, if iTunes stops selling MP3 downloads and digital downloads, then that's an entire that's a that's a big big chunk of of artist revenue gone down the drain, and they will need to recoup that in some fashion. What it will be, I don't know. And I would hate to be an artist right now because I I would not know where, how to even begin. Sometimes, you know what I mean. I don't. 
I can imagine doing it in the 2000s. I can imagine I can, you can see you could see a you could see a way through there. But streaming is so unpredictable. It's so unpredictable in terms of how you can get how you, how you can get up in the game. And it can be me. <laughs> simply simply put, can be me. So, you know, RIP iTunes, you did you did your bit. And now they'll and now I will need to find a uh, a new avenue and need to create and they'll they'll need to find ways to create new new revenue streams because I I don't think touring, streaming and merch will be sufficient for some and uh, especially to be independent especially to be independent so I, I I don't know how that will how that will that will pan out but anyway. That is to show that it's what's good. Hope you enjoyed this one. Obviously, I've, I've been switching up a little bit, and uh, hopefully the you know the, the interludes work works for you. If they if they do, let me know. If they don't, let me know, and I'll, I'll probably continue with it just for just for the flow wise. And I I, I feel like it's I feel like it's a I feel like it's a good a good just a point to just take a five five a few seconds just to digest what was actually being said and not have a constant constant flow of words being said by me you know just <laughs> just having a small interlude is just a take a breath you know just take, take a breath it's a nice reprieve from me for me talking um so yeah i hope you enjoyed the show all the links will be on the fifth element the 5th element uk if you want to read uh, read the articles i read for yourself or look at the chart daily chart that i was looking at and trying to decipher <laughs> It's weird trying to look at graphs and then trying to say what's on them. It's very, it's very weird. So if you want to look at yourself, I'll put the link to the Instagram post uh, to you, and you can uh, on on the site on the fifth element, and you can look at look at it for yourself. It's actually very staggering from how it looks. So, um, so if you want to, if you want, I highly suggest you should take a look at that. But anyway, that has been the show. I really enjoyed this one. I've, I I like it when I have the energy. You know, I like it when I have the good energy, the good vibes, and. Um, feels good so anyway that's the show for the fifth element podcast network i've been charlie taylor this has been what's good hope everybody has a great week and i shall see you next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen